morning, everybody. Welcome back. I am uh, just tickled. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to say. I am so excited about today because of what it represents. Today, we're going to go back in time a little bit. We're going to talk about what this church has been doing since 1962. And it's going to be fun as we kind of come along the date where you showed up. You're going to be able to see, like, that's when I became a part of this church. And then we're going to take some time at the end, and we're going to really look towards the future, where we're going. I, I, was, uh, I want you to take your Bibles today and open up to Acts chapter 2, verse 47. How many of you guys know when the pastor says, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, it's going to be a good Sunday. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Put your finger there for a second, and then flip over to uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 3. And we're going to talk about... Um, just this, this beautiful position that God has placed the church in as light and as salt in the world and the role that you and I play in it. So Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says this. This is the condition of the church um, on the day of Pentecost. This is what happened when everybody got Jesus in their heart, was preeminent. They weren't talking about the latest sports. They weren't talking about the latest politics. They, weren't, they were just talking about this amazing relationship with this loving, forgiving, graceful God that they had just come into contact with. They've been blind their whole lives. Their eyes have just opened. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what happens around them. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Now flip over to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3 says this. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Then, everybody say then. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and in the sight of man. In 1962, there was a dream. Uh, we talked about this last March, and there was a video that was made in the snow as we walked into Fenton Optical that used to be the Oddfellows Hall that was uh, it, the, the birthplace of, of Fenton Assembly of God that became the Freedom Center that became Freedom Center Church. And, and as you walk in that building, it's, it's you know, remember that video, it's, it's not that big. It's about the size of a couple of classrooms. It's, uh, but it's just filled with this power because to me, that's where dreams began. What we're enjoying today started in those humble beginnings. In 1962, um, Pastor F.E. and his wife Thelma and their boys, the Burke family, came to Fenton because God had called them here. They believed that out in the sticks, out in Nowheresville, out in a, a bedroom cottage community of the auto industry in Flint, that they would drive from Detroit week after week for Wednesday night service and Sunday morning, Sunday night, back and forth, picnics at Silver Lake Park with the, the basket of fried chicken and the potato salad and all that kind of stuff because that's the way they lived. If it was uh, <clears throat> wintertime, they were sledding. If it was summertime, they were out by the lake picnicking. But every Every week they were here. They built with the sweat and the faith and the blood and the tears um, this church that we get to enjoy today. And, and they began with this thought, and we've coined the phrase, winning the lost at any cost. That doesn't cost us our beliefs. Pastor Burke was one of those guys, and the whole Burke family, they, just, they really had this heart for the lost. They pioneered ways of reaching people in the midst of turmoil and crises and social agendas and change. They dove in, rolled up their sleeves, and, and they just met people right where they were. If they were passing through because there were hippies on their way to, to California, they just started a place where they could sit, spend the night, eat some food. And you know what's funny? is out of that group of hippies that gathered, we have missionaries, we have pastors, 
We have, we have district officials. That there were just these, these godless, you know, stoned, half-naked kids that came walking in because there was a sandwich that was waiting for them. And they met people that loved Jesus, that gave their lives to Christ, and now have spent the last 40, 50 years serving Jesus around the world. But I want you to know this, guys, that the, the first years of Freedom Center Church under the Burks, it was an extraordinarily difficult season. And because today we're in another really difficult season in our country where it's kind of hard to know what to look to or there's a lot that's exploded and people that are angry and hurt and afraid and saying things and slacktivists and activists and people that are legitimately engaged in the problem and those who are illegitimately engaged in the problem and creating more problems. And I want you to know something, that in 1962 it wasn't any cakewalk. It was a very difficult season. In 1962, in this community, right about where I'm standing was a field, but across the field was the old city of Fenton called Dibbleville. But there's an elementary school down there, and in that elementary school in 1962, the children of this community were taught that if they saw a bright flash come from the north, that was the Russians or the Cubans attacking um, a nuclear attack against the, the, the industrial machine that was Flint, Michigan, because we were on the list of first strike priorities, because in order to win a war, you have to defeat, first of all, the factories, not, not the people with guns, but the people with wrenches in their hands. We were a prime target. And in 1962, the children of our community were taught that a teacher would go, flash, and everyone would do what Thomas the Turtle did, and they'd get under their desk, and they'd hide there, because we all know that desks are empowered with lead-lining superpowers that somehow shield us from radiation. It was ridiculous, but that's exactly what we were dealing with. At the same time, <clears throat> James Meredith was breaking social barriers and being the first black student to the University of Mississippi, and in order for him to go to college as an Air Force veteran, an officer, a gentleman, uh, a scholar, with great grades and everything else he'd ever done at other colleges, wanted to go to Old Miss. And when he went to Old Miss, they said, you can't. They formed a bunch of laws and rules that were completely discriminatory. And it took not just, not just his will and not just the will of organizations, but really at this, this beginning part of the civil rights uh, modern era, if you will, what ends up happening is they have to call in the National Guard. They have to mobilize combat forces. They have to bring in state police. They have to bring in federal troops. And they, they surround the campus with over 1,100 armed men so that one guy can walk into a classroom and go to school. That was the atmosphere when this church was started. You move on to 1963, President Kennedy is assassinated. Um, Johnson is sworn in as, as the President of the United States. And here we find this, this man who <clears throat> reverses Kennedy's decisions to pull out of Vietnam and the disastrous decision to not pull out, but to amplify, to send tens of thousands of more troops. And now there's this distrust, our, our, our uh, there's racism in the deep south. Our, our president has been assassinated. There's a new guy that, you know, he's just the vice president. We didn't really know who he was, and now he's increasing our involvement in war against the wishes of a lot of people. Protests are growing. Indignation is growing. That's the second year in the history of this church. In 1964, it was called the Summer of Violence. It was riots that ranged from Brooklyn, New York, to Rochester, New York, Los Angeles, California, Various places where dozens of riots took place, looting, burning down of cities. Thousands of buildings were destroyed in 1964 because, because of oppression, 
because of a desire to be free, because of racism, because of systemic problems that, that were not working themselves out through communication. And so violence became the order of the day. That was 1964. There were two years into being a church, and now cities are being burned to the ground. National troops are being called in, and the president has been assassinated as our kids hide underneath desks because of a nuclear threat. And that's the first two years of this church. Move up to 1965, the year I was born, and that's the year that, that Watts, the city of Watts in California, a suburb of Los Angeles, <clears throat> was, was burned and destroyed. Uh, the, the riots went on for five days. There were people uh, by the hundreds, or by the thousands rather, that were injured. Uh, arrests, the jails were, were packed. They had to call in national troops as the city burned to the ground. That was 1965. In 1966, we began the era of the Vietnam War protests where people were saying, we don't want our kids to go over there. We don't see an end game. We don't believe what's happening. And now you get into the McNamara Papers and the research of the war and lying to the American people through uh, others. We're getting into Nixon's presidency. We're getting into all kinds of problems. Listen to me. I want you to know that what we're facing today is not the first time that, that this church has faced these sorts of crises. In 1967, those of you who are alive and well and conscious in 1967, you may remember the riots that took place in Detroit. Uh, in the, the early mornings of a, uh, hours of a Sunday morning, there was a raid on a, a, a club that didn't have a license for a liquor license. They expect a handful of people. The Detroit police stormed the doors. They found over 70 people. It got out of control. Bottles were thrown. Shots were fired. And it initiated uh, five, five days and nights of rioting in the city of Detroit where 1,089 people were hospitalized for injuries. 1,089 people in less than a week hospitalized for injuries sustained in that. 39 people died in the five days of the riots that took place in 1967 in Detroit. And over 2,000 buildings were destroyed. They were burned to the ground. <clears throat> My mother's generation would tell me stories of tanks rolling down Woodward Avenue, not in a parade, but as federal troops were called in and uh, the governor of, of Michigan, the mayor of Detroit, said, please help us. We, we have no way to contain this. And tanks, American tanks, with American soldiers inside of them, rolled down Woodward Avenue to put down the riots in 1967. In 1968, the Tet Offensive in Vietnam caused a total flip of we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. No longer was that McNamara uh, narrative viable as Saigon fell, as various places went under. The Viet Cong dressed as civilians, you know, pop out of the ditches and the holes and the gutters and the sewers literally had infiltrated. There, even our own embassy is captured for a short time during the Tet Offensive. Um, and so that's on the news. At the same time, in 1968, Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's brother, of course, running for the presidency, was, was murdered, was assassinated. The same year, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Leaders that talked of peace, that spoke of unity, were being murdered in the streets of our nation as things are going poorly in politics, as things are going poorly in business, as things are going poorly in a war. I, and what I've just said is this. I just talked about the first six years. I, I'm talking about the, the first 60 years. That was what Pastor and Sister Burke were facing as they stood in a pulpit just like I'm standing right now. And they looked at people just like you and me. And they, they told them the way of truth. They told them the way of faithfulness. They told them the way of love. Hear me, please. That scripture we talked about at the very beginning, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3, talks about love 
and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness. Write it on your heart. I mean, engrave it. Like, like you're etching initials on a tree. Write love on your heart so that everything that comes out of it has to pass through love. Faithfulness, the ability to hang in there and keep fighting for what's right. Having faith, being full of faith that truth will win, that love will win, that God will win. Praying, not, not in fear, but in faith, believing that God is the answer to the problems. That was the foundational steps of this ministry led by the Burks. They were in the midst of the greatest, I mean, you go from 1962 when we started to 1972, from, from the 62 uh, Russian or uh, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis through 72 towards the end of the Vietnam War. You gotta understand, the first decade of this church was some of the worst years in our nation's history. So what got us through it? Why are we here today? Why did we survive? Love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness. Because when God's people move in love and faithfulness, in spite of the problems and the injustices, and, and the injustices that create injustices, if we will move with love and with faithfulness, we will have a good name with God and with men. Instead of becoming a part of the problem, the Burks led this congregation to become a part of the solution. Instead of cursing the hippies, they fed the hippies. Instead of saying those drug addicts that do those bad things, they created a drug rehab center in downtown Fenton. Buildings that no longer exist, they were destroyed during the urban renewal. But those buildings that they could stand today would tell you stories of kids that got set free and gave their life to Christ in a, a holiness Pentecostal church that was the uh, Oh, it was built in the 1860s. It was the first Baptist church. But you'd have the people in their ties and the, the dresses and, you know, the, the, the glasses and their huge paper Bibles. They'd come in and they'd sit in their pews. But it wasn't at all uncommon. Matter of fact, it was extraordinarily common that people would walk in, as I'm told, during those days barefoot, no shirt on, pair of Daisy Duke cut-off shorts, you know, and some hippie'd come and he'd sit, and he wouldn't sit in a chair. He was filthy, he'd been on the road, he was hungry, but he was kind of trying to find himself in those days, and he'd sit cross-legged in the altar and listen to Effie Birch preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he loved those people, and he was faithful to those people, and he loved the church people, and he was faithful to the church people, and that congregation of love and faithfulness grew to what we understand today. And then in 1995, skipping way forward after all all those years, 33 years of love and faithfulness. He handed the keys to a, a young punk kid that was 29 years old with a, a 26-year-old wife, a less than one-year-old baby, and a three-year-old son. And he said, here is my life's work. And he handed us the keys. You want to talk about an intimidating moment, but here you go. And we began the journey. And in that first year, guys, I, I, I boy, that was the year of the Oklahoma City bombing. That was the year that Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols and others filled up uh, a rental van full of fertilizer and diesel fuel parked in front of the Murray building and lit a fuse and walked away and, and people were just slaughtered. Children in a daycare slaughtered. Building collapsed on top of people and we had sat up here. You know what we talked about then? We talked about love. We talked about faithfulness. We talked about being light and being salt. We talked about hatred and the solution to hatred. We talked about mercy. We talked about sacrifice. We talked about giving. And the church grew from 99 people in that year to about 200 people in, the, in that first year. Why? Because people know. They, they know when they're a part of something that's, that's producing kingdom. They know when heaven's coming to earth. They know when love is working. They know when things are real. People were, were not saying, I, I attached to Jim, or I attached to Dina, or Josh, or JD, or Fenton Assembly of God. They were attaching to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords saying, I want to do life with these people because they're making a difference in the world through love and through faithfulness. 
And that same first year, I can't tell you, 29, 30 years old, but we had three tragedies in a small church that year. A woman by the name of Marcia, who was uh, one of our, our leaders of our little girls, we had a missionettes program, and she'd come in with her little vest on with all the badges, and all these little three, four, five, six-year-olds would follow her around like she was a mother duck or something. And she loved those kids every Wednesday night, and suddenly she just wasn't feeling good, wasn't feeling right, went to the doctor. Doctor sent out tests. Tests became evidence. Evidence became uh, a deadly disease, and within four days, she was gone. And we had to look those little girls in the eye and from one week to the next and say she's not coming back. And that same year, we had a mother that had three little girls out at Silver Lake Park, you know, and she's sitting there, and a thunderstorm is coming, and she said, we better go to the car, and as the kids were getting in the car, a bolt of lightning came down, struck her right in front of the kids. She laid on the ground as the evidence of, of the destruction of that bolt of lightning was evident, and her children saw her with smoke coming out of her eyes and out of her ears. And we did that funeral, too, and we had to talk about how good God is, and, and we can trust him. And in that same year, that winter, we had a, a little girl coming home with her niece, um, with, her, with her aunt, rather, three years old, and struck by a train in the snow, and the doors flew off, and she went into the, the snow and died three days later of a, just a traumatic brain injury. And again, we had to stand in, on these grounds that I stand on now and tell people that God is good, and you can trust him, and it's going to be all right. And that was the year where I had my first real emotional breakdown because the questions that were being asked were so difficult and the answers so absent in my heart. I called my mom and said, what do I do? If I was a carpenter, I'd go build a house and I'd figure out how to, how to deal with this emotionally. But I'm a pastor and I have to stand over another tiny casket again and tell everybody how good God is. Mom, what do I do? I'm crying. I said, I don't know if I can do it anymore. I don't know if I, I'm first year in. I don't know if I can do it anymore. I don't know if I can do it anymore. She said, Jimmy, take a breath. She said three words that changed my life and if helped many of us through the years, and it was this. She said, this isn't heaven. It's not heaven, but it's not hell either. It's that place in between where we stand and heaven and hell do this, and we are here to decide what we'll believe, who we'll trust. Jimmy, you just gotta keep your eyes on Jesus. You're gonna go through this whether you trust him or not, but those who go through this trusting Jesus with love and faithfulness, you're gonna get through this, and we did. That was our first year. 96, some idiot filled up a backpack at the Atlanta Olympics and exploded it and the accusations of who it might have been and is it terrorism, is it domestic terrorism and this, this nation was torn apart as the world watched because it was an international sporting event. They watched as America just behaved so poorly and we continued just to speak love and light and salt in 97, McVeigh is executed. And again, I remember driving down the freeway. We were in Oklahoma at the time, and my wife just being silent. I'm like, what's going on, babe? She said, I just, I just can't even think about it right now. I'm like, think about what? She said, he's, being, he's like over there, and they're putting the needle in his arm right now. And I, I because of what, I mean, she's from Oklahoma. She said, what that man did to this city, I just, oh, I just, it's so hard to forgive. But love and faithfulness comes with that mercy. You know, the, the obligation to see people as God sees them. And as we drove silently through Oklahoma City the day that he was being executed, it was just this, this weight of the evil that is in the world. And how do you deal with it? And people are protesting, you know, capital punishment. Others are saying, you know, kill him slowly and painfully. And others say bury him in rubble for three days like his victims. And, and bury his children and bury his children's children. I, you know, it's just like, stop, 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 stop. Just, and what, what got us through those days is love and faithfulness. 
If you were around in 1999, you remember we did not party like it was 1999 because we were getting ready for the end of the world. Y2K, because the year of all computer programming was two digits instead of four. Every computer, every satellite, every cell phone, most of the, the vehicles, television, radio, would all shut down instantaneously as soon as the clock move over to, you know, 1201, January 1st, 2000. And of course, that didn't happen, but we had a wonderful spirited conversation during that season because there were those who were stirring up food and ammunition and those that were not stirring up food and ammunition and those who started were saying, hey, I'm not going to share my food and ammunition because you're not preparing. Well, hey, if you don't have enough faith to trust God, and, and, and when, thank God we didn't have Facebook then. Wow, can you imagine how angry? I mean, face-to-face people had to be angry, so they're a little bit more calm because you might get punched in the nose. On Facebook, you can say the most outrageous thing in the most passionate moment. And you can just say it, and it's out there permanently, right? But back then, we had to talk to each other and write to each other, and there were commentaries, and there was news, and there was the newspaper, and, there, and it kind of slowed it down. You got to chew on it slowly, but we thought about little, uh, very few things were thought about without looking through the lens of the destruction of the known world. And who would take over? Would it be the insects? <laughs> would it be the communists? Would it be those who lived up in the hills of West Virginia that had no idea there was technology? I mean, there was all this stuff, right? And we, how did we get through that? Well, love and faithfulness. In 2001, I mean, it's no secret here, some idiots flew a plane, two planes into buildings and killed 3,000 innocent people that just went to work that day and our nation went to war. And again, you know, the crises, the ongoing, how do we do this? Well, we... Through love and faithfulness, we opened the doors of the church, and we didn't lock them again for seven days. Day or night, music played in the auditorium. Nobody, was, nobody stole a thing. Nobody broke a thing. No one went into you know, locked offices. People came here day and night simply to pray because our nation was attacked. This church, again, demonstrated its love, demonstrated its faithfulness. And in doing so, there are people today that serve the Lord because those doors were unlocked on September 11th, 2001. 2007 through 2014, we suffered the Great Recession. I know historians will say it started in 2008 and it ended in 2010. I'm like, you ain't from Michigan. Manufacturing is always the first to go into a recession and always the last to come out. People cut off orders quickly because they don't want warehouses filled with stuff that won't sell or at a reduced price where they have to lose money. So orders stopped a year before the recession really got into force. And, and really, we didn't come out of the recession until 2014 where property values were back where they were prior to 2007. Seven years. There was a season in our community where one out of every seven homes was empty and repossessed by the bank. There was a season, 40 consecutive weeks, where one or more families came with tears in their eyes just to say goodbye because they couldn't stay anymore. They'd run out of money. They'd lost their house. They'd lost their business. They'd lost their job. They're getting ready to move in with their, their family members in other states. 40, 50-year-olds are going to live with their children. 67-year-olds going, going to live with, with their children. The first one going to live with their parents. Moving into your parents' basement with your kids in your 30s and 40s after having a successful life, losing it all, not for any fault of your own, but day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, those doors have been unlocked to people that have come in. And what they found here consistently is love and faithfulness. That's why we're here. We're here to love. And we're here to love consistently. We're here to be good and faithful servants. In the middle of the Great Recession, 2010, just when you think it couldn't get any worse, a little boy out in Argentine was tortured to death. I went to see him in the hospital, and there wasn't two inches on that boy's body. It wasn't burned or cut 
or bruised. He was tortured to death by the boyfriend of his mother. And we really had to wrestle. I mean, we really had to wrestle with the power of forgiveness. We really had to wrestle with the vengeance of God versus the vengeance of man. We really, we had the funeral for the little boy right here where I'm standing right now. There was once a small casket with the destroyed body of a child. We had to put his mother, because people blamed her for not stopping it. She was allowed to come into the building. We didn't announce it, but her own family said, if we see her, we'll kill her. We put armed guards on her, and Pastor Pat and Teresa Brady sat with her in what used to be the cry room behind one-way glass as I stood here and preached the funeral for her baby that had been murdered. We had to wrestle with whether or not with whether or not the capital punishment that seemed due, whether or not mercy was really what was needed. We had to wrestle with whether or not an injustice like that could simply be forgiven. You know what happened is in the process, they got to lead the mother to Jesus and Pastor Pat got to lead her boyfriend who murdered Dominic to Jesus as well. Love. And faithfulness have a profound effect. Love in a moment has an effect, but love with faithfulness over decades has a greater effect. That was 2010, 2011. Our community was racked by a bad batch of heroin. And Brianna and Erica, two kids that had been in this room in youth ministry, hadn't been in a long time. But they'd been, and they'd heard the gospel. Brianna OD'd on, on heroin and died. I've heard the 911 call many times because we took that and played it in the schools over and over again, hearing her father and stepmother trying to revive their child that is, has been dead so long. She has rigor mortis and they can't seem to get her mouth open and the, the dispatcher's trying to help and do you know, chest compressions and breathe and, and you realize about three quarters of the way through this agonizingly long eight minute or so phone call that she's been gone for a long time and she's not coming back and you begin to hear the parents understand that their daughter's not coming back. And then Erica, the next day, same batch of heroin, one of her best friends, same thing happens again. We went into the schools to tens of thousands of kids and we talked to them face to face. We had an assembly called Chasing the Dragon and and just being loving towards them and faithful towards them and preparing a place and we brought in speakers and Sheriff Swanson and others that, you know, we we stood there. I I stood at at an assembly that had 2,000 kids in it, one of the biggest we were able to do at Grand Blanc High School. I stood there personally. You could not go to the gymnasium unless you shook my hand and I asked you one question, do we need to talk? And as hundreds of kids said, we need to talk. I shook their hand and I pulled them out of line and I handed them to Pastor JD and I shook their hand and I pulled them out of line. I gave them to Pastor Josh. I shook their hand and I pulled them out of line. I gave them to Pastor Jason. I shook their hand and I pulled them out of line. I gave them to Melanie over and over, hundreds of kids. I, I remember we had prayer meetings in the hallways of the public schools because kids were saying, I'm not on heroin, but my mom, my mom is. And my dad's, I, I didn't know who he was. And if I turn in my mom, she goes to jail and I'm in the foster care system. But if I don't turn her in and she dies of a heroin overdose, I'll, I'll be an orphan. I, I will be partially responsible for the death of my mother. Pastor Jim, what do I do? And I'd say, I don't know. And we'd just grab hands in the hallways and we'd pray together. 
And literally, we, I had a group of students one time, they said, they said, we feel hated in this school. I said, why would you feel hated? They said, because we're, we're, we're gay, we're lesbian, we're, we're bisexual, and, and they just hate us, they just hate us. And so I was talking to them about what it felt like to be hated and persecuted. I'm, I'm starting to bring Jesus into this, and they're preparing. I said, no, just you, what you don't like about Jesus is, is not true about Jesus. Let me tell you what is true about Jesus. And I was getting to them, and then a, a counselor came over and said, hey, there's a group of kids at this other table. They really, they said, pastor, would you come pray with them? I said, I will. I said, guys, come with me. And they said, why? I said, we're going to come, we're going to go pray for these kids. They said, well, we don't, eat. like one kid said, I don't believe in God. I said, that's okay, he believes in you. My altar ministry team was a group of, of gay, lesbian, uh, bisexual, transgendered kids. I said, come with me. You, you complain that nobody loves you and they're over there asking for love. You're coming with me. And we talked about Jesus and we got in a circle and we prayed together. So well, what happened? Did they repent of their, did they change their, I, I don't know. All I know is this, love and faithfulness. That's what people need to see from a church. Love and faithfulness is what people need to see from their neighbor who claims the name of God. Love and faithfulness is what the world needs. And so I, I stand here today in 2020, and not long ago, George Floyd is, is killed, and the nation erupts. What's going to get us through this? I can look back from 1962 to 2020 and say a lot of things I don't know. I don't know the specific answers to a lot of the specific questions, but I know the answer to every question, and that is love and faithfulness. Because God so loved us, we get to so love everybody else. Because God so served us, so faithfully has been walking with us, we are now honored and privileged to give away what we've received. I've just finished 25 years of pastoring this church. My wife has sacrificed immensely. My children have paid their dues over and over and over, being accused of being the children of cult leaders. And I'm telling you this, we will not stop loving and we will not stop being faithful until God says it's time to go home or it's time to do something else. We are celebrating 25 years, but honestly, I'm looking forward to the next 25 years. 58 years into this thing, we are still here and we're thriving. Why? Why are we still here? Why are we still thriving? We talked about riots, assassinations. We talked about coup attempts, we, scandal, racism. We talked about destruction, murder, drugs. We talked about it all. Why is the church still here? Because the church has answers to the questions. But if we answer them without love, or we stop answering them because it got tiresome to answer them, those questions would never go away. I'm tired of answering. No, love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness. And the Lord has been adding to our number daily those who are being saved, those who are coming out of the world's systems, those who are removing from themselves the, oh, the outrage culture and walking into the peace of Christ. Instead of being a part of the problems, they've reverted and converted to being a part of the solution. Bring heaven to earth, bring heaven to earth, bring heaven to earth is our cry. Today, Dean and I are so grateful for your kind words. It is by the grace of God that we are still here because through multiple emotional breakdowns, <laughs> through trials of all different kinds that I've gone through, you've gone through too. Some of you, I've been the one that caused the emotional trial in your life. I get that. I'm sorry. I would just say this. The reason we're all still moving forward, it's not because we're good people. It's not because we're great people, because we have been greatly loved by a good God. And because of that love, there's something to give away, love. Because of the fidelity, the, the stick-to-itiveness of the mercy of God that he's never quit on us. Even when we've been faithless, he's remained faithful. 
because of that faithfulness now is the fruit of our lives. Love and faithfulness. Let me read this to you again and we'll close. Proverbs chapter three, the music starts to play. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. What's the secret to the future? What's the secret sauce? What's our agenda? How are we gonna deal with? Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and in the sight of man. What the world needs more than anything else right now, I hate to go total like Dion Warwick on you, but it's love. And not love in the moment until the emergency has abated one way or the other. Faithfulness. Love with faithfulness. Love with faithfulness. Finding a way to love continuously. Finding a, a need that we can meet with love continuously. We honor those among us today that have been loving and faithful and patient as we've walked these last 25 years. We're so grateful that you have become a part of it on any level, whether you're witnessing this for the first time today or you've been here since before we got here. Love and faithfulness needs to mark the steps of God's people. Mm -mm. Last thought. My last thought is this. It's a little shocking, but in 11 years, I'm going to be 65 years old. And I think maybe it's time to start talking about strategies to raise up another generation um, in the years to come, the next five, six, seven years. And this is if the Lord wills and, and we're still here and, and I'm right about what I'm speculating about right now. We're going to see uh, an injection of leadership that's probably not 40, 50, 60, but probably 20, 30, 40 into key roles. In the next 11 years, I'm going to start having to do this while some other, you know, guy or gal starts to do this, right? And so I, I say this to our successors. I say this to the kids that are going to outlive the old people. I say this to our young adults, to our children in children's ministry, to our youth group. If we ever walk away from love and faithfulness, it'll all collapse. But if by some miracle of the grace of God, we can continue as the days get darker, as the trials get, get more and more fiery, as division gets more and more succinct, let me just say this. If you move forward in love and faithfulness, you will have a good name before God and man. And you'll continue to serve the generations of this community and around the world. We're not done yet, that's what I'm trying to say. Even if I were done today, we're not done yet, and I'm not done today. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on the next 25 years. I don't think I'll be the senior pastor here 25 years from now, but if I'm still alive, I'm still a part of what God's doing in Fenton and Freedom Center Church, if I'm, if I'm welcome, if, if the new leadership will allow me to. I submit to that person's new leadership, but not yet. <laughs> when the day comes, I will. It's time for me to go, I'll go. But man, I tell you what, I want to fight for the souls of this city for the rest of my life. We fought too hard and too long to move to Boca and learn how to play golf. We're in it to win it. We're in it till the bitter end. My wife and I, my sons, we're here until God calls us home or until God calls us somewhere else. But if he doesn't, our, our intentions, my cemetery plot is in 48430 because this is where I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to serve the Lord. This is where I'm going to die. I would just say this to you guys. As I say we're not done, let me just ask you about you to say, oh, Pastor Jim and Dina have done so much that uh, Pastor Jim and Dina, along with an army of people, have done so much to bring the gospel to the world. 
Pastor Jim and Dina and in our army. I hope you're seeing this. Thank you that I get FaceTime. But there are people behind the cameras and there's people that paid for the cameras and there's people that pray for me as I'm speaking into the cameras and there's people that clean the building in the room that I'm speaking to the camera and there's people and there's people and there's people and there's people, right? And this is just one part of it. There's people today in Walmart. There's people today. All, they're, they're sharing the gospel. They're praying for the sick. They're advancing the kingdom. They are doing what I'm doing right now. They're doing all over the place, all over our communities. And so I, I, just, I just ask you this. What role are you going to play in this? You can watch a football game and enjoy it, but it's a lot more fun to play football. You, you can watch uh, a sporting event of any kind, a political event of any kind, a social event of any kind, but it's a lot more fun to get involved. What good is going to church if love and faithfulness doesn't propel you into a world that needs love and faithfulness? And so as we close today, I just simply say this, guys. Get engaged. Get engaged. Get engaged with your neighbors. Get engaged with, if it's a drive-in movie night, if it's a drive-in church day, if it's a celebration, any excuse to get someone into the presence of God, any excuse to, get to, to sharpen iron with, with a brother or sister, any reason that you can come up with whatsoever to build the church of Jesus Christ, give your life to Jesus, and then, and then invest your life in what Jesus gave his life for, and you will live a meaningful, powerful, faithful, loving life. If you're here today and you're like, Man, Jim, I got no passion. I've been on unemployment for three months, and my life sucked before then. And you're like, I can't seem to find my way to God. What, what road do I go down? What good deed must I do? In closing moments of this today, I just simply want to lead you in a prayer. It's just a simple prayer of I need you. It's a simple prayer of I love you. It's a simple prayer of I want you. It's a simple prayer of I, I prefer you. I place you on the throne of my life. And we're going to pray it to God. Are you ready? If you need to take steps forward and commit, or you need to take steps forward just to be forgiven, let's take steps forward right now. Jesus, I pray for my friends, God, that are watching this today, whether they're on the other side of the planet or the other side of the street from where I stand right now. I ask for a meaningful life that begins with a deep repentance. How we ever thought we'd live through this without you is it's just so stupid. <laughs> so right now, forgive us for the notion that we could have lived without God. We need you. We want you. We prefer you. And at this moment, we enthrone you in our lives. We enthrone you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Here is every moment left of our life, and we pray that you would use us to bring glory to the one who sits upon that throne. Fill us with your spirit. Give us boldness. Teach us your word. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be ashamed. Let us not move in error. Let us have solutions to the deepest questions of mankind. Use your church today, God, to bring heaven into the hellish parts of this earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 25 down. Some more to go. God bless you guys. We love you. Um, if you're watching this online, there's a barbecue that's going to be taking place at 11 o'clock today uh, in the parking lot, a socially distant barbecue. So you can't take a bite of a hot dog and your neighbor, but beyond that, as long as you stay in groups of 10, we're going to be having a tailgating party. Everybody's invited. Come on. Let's hang out and enjoy some time together. It's a beautiful day, 70s and sunny. This is Michigan. We get four of those a year. Today's one of them. Come and enjoy it with us. God bless you. We'll see you soon.